You know, the problem I have with nostalgia is, one, it's just kind of a... I don't know. It's just kind of a lazy, weird... Why does this feel good? I remember when nostalgia was so much better. I agree. That yeah. was a good. Those were good times. Back in the day, nostalgia was great. And the other thing with nostalgia is, unless you're you're speaking to all people in the same time period, it just you know everybody else is like I don't I don't I don't know or care what you're talking about. Right. But so I'll do this. So I'll do this very quickly. So uh, Mark Take Halpern, your time. <laughs> Mark Halpern, who I like, tweeted out, um, "What is the 1970s equivalent of continuing to use an iPhone with a cracked screen?" <laughs> Which uh, my wife and I both did for several weeks. Joe Scarborough replied, continuing to listen to your favorite eight-track tape, even if it stays stuck on the first track. you got to be a certain age to enjoy that. Mm. Savannah Guthrie, also of NBC, said, using a pencil to rewind cassette wheels so the crinkled tape will go back in the cartridge. <laughs> I've done that eight million times oh, in my life. Yeah, you got one of your, your uh, spoolie things is malfunctioning. Terrible. And then maybe continuing to use an Etch-A-Sketch when one of the knobs doesn't make the thing go <laughs> well, in the no. right direction. No, that makes you a <laughs> mental patient. <laughs> Wow, and like I said, it's only good if you're a certain age. <laughs> so listen, I don't. I, you know, we need to have a big meeting. We need to have a, a big, serious meeting where everybody sits there with serious faces, and there's a uh, there's a dry erase board and or a flip chart, and we talk about the primary purpose of this show. What are we What are we trying to achieve here? To allow what, what me are we doing? to allow me to make my house payment. Wrong. That is the primary purpose. Wrong. We have a sacred duty to entertain the folks in the in the bright and early morning and or whenever you're listening. How's this for a serious face? I've been working. Is that good? That's pretty good. I that heard. is pretty good. Yeah, well done. Right. So, uh, does it matter what face you make to unlock your iPhone? Can do you have to like keep a like a blank face? I'm not going to go with that because the cops can force you to open it. Ben the Libertarian said, "Guys, don't take my word for it. Look at these Google results." And sure enough, here's the Atlantic with a big piece back in uh, May of 2016. Police can force you to use your fingerprint to unlock your phone. But they can't make you cough up your passcode. I didn't actually read the law, because as a guy who almost went to law school, I'd like to read the actual cases. Um, but uh, so, uh, yeah, so there you go. That's... They can grab your thumb and stuff it on you, make you, you put it on your phone, and or put the phone in your face. Now it's open, huh? Oh, porn, huh? A lot of porn. <laughs> Although from what that guy was... A lot of emojis. Teet, A lot of teet. emojis that are like porn. Although from what the reporter was saying at the the Apple event, that if you close your eyes, it doesn't recognize it. So I wonder if they grab the phone, show it at your face. If you just keep your eyes closed, and nah, then they I'm grab looking. one cop, grab one burly cop grabs each eyelid and they pull them open. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't end up in these scenarios a lot. Well, you might though. That's what your constitutional ah, rights porn, are all about. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hobby Garden, look at the barn on here. I assume it's a fat Irish cop. <laughs> All right, so I'm looking at this here uh, proposed deal. The the president got together with his best friends, Chuck Schumer and uh, Nancy Pelosi. Old Amnesty Don? Yeah, and uh, according to Breitbart, yeah, and they hammered out a, a framework of a vision of an idea of a deal uh, to, to uh, pass the so-called really cloyingly named DREAM Act to protect the uh, childhood arrival uh, youngsters who... The kids of uh, people who came in illegally, and they were kids themselves. They didn't have any say in it, blah, blah, blah. Many of them now are as old as 37 years old. So, you know, the constant referring to them as children, as if they are children now, is in the main inaccurate. Well, that's that's all true and interesting, but that ship has sailed. This issue is done. It's settled. It's over. Which brings me back to our our mission statement, our purpose, our flip charts, uh, Sean's serious face. So I've got the, the Washington Post stuff on this. 
uh, that they're fairly close to a deal. Trump's going to get some border security measures. Uh, um, not only, you know, the the political talking heads would say as a sop to his base, but in truth, because, you know, you got to. If you grant what is essentially an amnesty, even if you think it's a, a good, just amnesty, if you're going to grant that and you're serious about having some sort of coherent immigration policy, you got to get something like that. So that's fine and good as far as it goes. But here now is the information that will make all of that seem completely fake and turn you more jaded and discouraged. Well, I don't know if that's good for anyone. That's my point. <laughs> is that why we're here? To make people jaded and discouraged? Nah, I woke Our up original that. air names. I woke up that way. Well, right. But we don't know if we want to spread your ennui to the population like some sort of emotional gonorrhea. Go ahead. Hit me with the J&D. Matt O'Brien, who is a thoroughly decent and intelligent man, he happens to work now for the Federation for Immigration Reform, which is a think tank that advocates for setting then following immigration policy. Some on the left would call them hardliners. I haven't found them to be that. They just want rational uh, immigration law. And actually, setting and then following, what kind of a system is that? Well, right, I know. Um, in fact, uh, the gent we talked to from uh, Fair the other day, it, was that Matt? I can't remember. What was it? No, no, it was Art Arthur. Got the same name twice, mm. which means Sean what? It's somebody who should not be trusted. Anybody right. whose last name is a derivative of the first name, right. that's somebody who's hiding something. Well, that's so that's a, a, a strike against him. But when we had him on, this is the guy from FAIR now. He said, well, yeah, the kids who were brought in not of their own volition, that's a special case. I mean, we can, we can figure out something to do with them. Now, that is the stance of these lunatics at FAIR. Having said that, Matt O'Brien was, for an extended period, until last year, a manager in the investigative unit of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. These are the people who assess and grant applications, etc., etc. He says, and he is quite confident, based on what I have seen personally and discussed with my colleagues, the fraud rate in the DACA program is 40 to 50%. It's possible that it was higher, but I'm confident about 40 to 50%. Fraud rate. There's a huge rate of fraud in this program, he says. USCIS employees did quick checks of DACA applications, applications, um, but it was very quick in order to get the DACA's, DACA's all racked and stacked quickly. He said immigration officers often found evidence that somebody would lied, but that the office of the chief counsel almost always dismissed a recommendation to deny an application. I would say 98% of the time they defaulted to improving them, even if there was significant fraud. Um, the kind of fraud that was often flagged, he noted, involved lying about age and arrival time and that sort of thing. So, yeah, so what is the fraud? So you just claim, no, I came during the window that right. you're allowing people to stay. Right, or you're not who you claim to be, or your record is not as clean as you claim it to be, et cetera, et cetera. And there's very little checking. And again, this guy, who I believe to be perfectly reasonable, says there was a solid 50% fraud rate in this program. So the the discouraging uh, part of all this is that, you know, Reagan did his thing. 
There's a big immigration reform. Acting monkeys? In, is that what you're talking about? No, no, his no. His thing was acting with monkeys. No, he did that occasionally and delightfully. But no, his thing was his big uh, immigration reform, which resulted in the amnesty for millions of people. But now we're going to crack down. Now we're going to get serious. Well, we didn't get serious. And millions and millions more people poured into the country to the delight of the Republicans and the Democrats. And now we're going to go through this rigmarole and grant the DACA kids, uh, who are no longer kids, you know, amnesty and a path decision, blah, blah, blah. And it's fine. They were kids. What the hell do they know? Um, but then the programs that exist to so, quote unquote crack down will be just completely fraudulent, not enforced. Neither party actually has the will to enforce any of this. And we're just being lied to, mm. in my humble opinion. Well, from a political standpoint, uh, like I said, the ship has sailed. Uh, America's made up its mind, it would seem. As as Trump pointed out yesterday, it's not really controversial. The Democrats want it, and all the leadership in the Republican Party wants it. Mm-hmm. Even if they pretend not to. They've Paul been lying Ryan. to their voters for years and years and Paul years. Paul Ryan and, uh, and uh, what's his name, the, the turtle the guy. The cartoon turtle, yeah. Mitch McConnell. He, uh, they, they both want it. So it's not it's not like it's super controversial politically for Trump to, to, to do this. Oh, not in the least. The leadership of both parties want it to happen. So The DACA thing in particular, like yeah. widespread... No, the, uh, the Dreamer thing. The, okay, yeah. Yeah, don't say Dreamer. I know. How about Fairy Dust Angel? That's my preferred term. Because it's as logically descriptive I, as I've, Dreamer. I have dreams, too. Am I a Dreamer? Some people say I'm a Dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I, I have a dream. I refused to say Dreamer for several years. I am now going to start saying Dreamer because it's one of the great all-time PR campaigns uh, in my lifetime. It worked. You're going to start talking about the final solution, too? Mm? It, it worked. Because mm? that was a good persuasive phrase. <laughs> and huh? 7.13 on today's show <laughs> was when the first reference to National Socialist Germany made its appearance. <laughs> Nazi Germany. Joe works Tell everything around that. Did everything. I uh, took everything I could. Wait till now. <laughs> you got to admit, that was one of the great PR campaigns in the history of PR campaigns. Whoever came up with that whole dreamer thing, and then for whatever reason, the, the, the dopey Republicans bought into using the same language. Counter-argument. Shut up. <laughs> and who's gonna be who's against dreams, Joe? So, who could be? So you, Only a terrible person. Exactly. So you end up with a majority of both parties who already think, yo, that's obviously a good idea. And there that's that. Amnesty Dawn. <laughs> wow. There you go. Discouraged and what was the other thing I said? Jaded. Cynical. Jaded. Jaded, Jaded and discouraged. Yeah, that's what you right. Do? Geez, you got about the worst story I've ever heard out of Florida. Are we oh, just going to ignore that? I suppose we could. <sighs> yeah, the oldsters. Pretty rough story. Terrible. Just terrible. Yeah. I don't know if we want to talk about that or not. You know, everybody wants to talk about fascism. According to a lot of authorities, fascism, fascism is coming to the world's largest democracy. Actual fascists, not a bunch of over-emotional adolescents in the Bay Area declaring somebody a fascist, but all the facets of it being enacted in the world's largest democracy. Really? Yeah. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Alexa left. She's not here. Oh, yes, sweetie. Uh, we had to get rid of Alexa. What have you done with her? Oh, it's okay, sweetie. We have Jim Bob now. What's a Jim Bob? Doot, doot. Awaiting request. It works the same and makes sure people don't lose their jobs. Jim Bob, what time is it? Doot, doot. It is 
327. Oh, Mommy's got to run, sweetie. I've got a doctor's appointment. Jim Bob, how's the traffic to town? Doot, doot, traffic's fine. You'll get there in about nine minutes. <gasps> okay, you want some music, hon? Jim Bob, play Kendrick Lamar. Playing Humble by Kendrick Lamar. My left hook just went viral. Sit down. Be humble. Nay! Nay! So that's from last night's South Park. They did a lot of uh, uh, talking about Alexa. So people's Alexas were going off from the Twitter feed. Who else's Alexa keeps going off every time Cartman says something on the Alexa during the South Park episode? Right. Uh, This at South Park episode has set my at Amazon Alexa off about 15 times so far. I have to keep unplugging it. You know, since the word Alexa is essentially a password, whose idea was it to give everybody the same password? (laughs) This new South Park is confusing the hell out of my Google Home. Uh, Thanks for setting off all my Google Homes and Android devices. Was that their intent, or was it just... No, that's just a, that's a charming side effect gotcha. of the topic of the show. Gotcha. <laughs> I echo what you said. I'm glad I live in a time when those two dudes are alive. They're so good. Shout out, fellas. Shout out. Um, bah, oh, just a quick follow-up. Here's, here's my, my angst about the whole immigration conversation thing. It reminds me of the uh, North Korean sanctions deal, where a great uh, amount of attention and seriousness is being paid to the new round of sanctions, and Nikki Haley is talking about how it's the, the toughest sanctions ever passed. Blah, blah. Well, it's been demonstrated that uh, that North Korea is not going to comply, and some incremental increase in sanctions isn't going to bring them, them to the table, and everybody knows it. I mean, Russia and, and China said we're not going to cut off their gas, which showed they're not serious about ending it, so... Why, what are we talking about? Is it just something to talk about while we pass the time while we're waiting for our number to come up at the DMV? Because I can't imagine why everybody's talking about it so seriously. Because clearly they're not doing anything. The immigration thing is the same thing. All this conversation about the DACA and everything. We're all, we're nibbling around the edges of it. And, and neither party, neither political party is sincere about it. There are people within the parties that I think are, but in the main, they're insincere about it. So we're not doing anything. You want to end illegal immigration? Or control it, and it's the same way you. you and we've talked about this before. Why I couldn't go live in Germany after college? I wanted to. Their working and living requirements are way too sl- too uh, strict for foreigners. You could not find a place to live as an illegal in Germany. It was impossible, or even like quasi legal or not quite legal. You couldn't find a place to live. You absolutely could not get a job. You could not get a dime from the government. You could not. You couldn't function. As somebody who is not fully approved to be in that country. I know people who tried to move to Canada had the same story. I know somebody who tried to move to Israel had fascist, the same story. Fascist, fascist Canada. Right. So if you remove the magnets, people will go away. They will, quote, unquote, self-deport, which is some people view, oh, my God, how can you use that term? That just means you, you think, you know, this sucks here. I'm going to go back home. Um, it, it would be easy to do. The people of California back in the day passed a resolution saying, no, you don't get public benefits if you sneak into the country. That uh, that the majority is now turned into a minority that thinks that way because emotion has overcome reason in much of the progressive uh, parts of America. Um, but until you say, look, here's the deal. you got to have your paperwork in order or you don't get to be here and mean it. We're all just nibbling around the edges, right? Yeah. Huh? Amnesty right? Don. All right, fine. What is the most popular car in Oregon? Here's a hint. 
It's not a trick question. Subaru? Subaru Outback. Please. Easiest buy. What is Why the, is that so easy to answer? Because there are so freaking many of them. <laughs> if you get in a 15-car pileup, 13 of them are Subarus. In beautiful Oregon. Washington State. It's North Oregon. It's the Subaru Outback. Number one selling car. The other progressive state best-selling car is either the Honda Civic, California, or like Illinois, it's the Honda CRV. It's a smallish Honda um, or maybe a Toyota. It's amazing if you look at this map of, of the best-selling cars in each state that I have, how they are completely unsurprising how they fit, quote-unquote, a stereotype. So you got the Subaru Outback is number one in Washington and Oregon. It's number one in one more state. Think about it. Here's a hint. I'm really baked. Yes, Colorado. I know. Colorado, yeah. <laughs> so um, hit me with the Trump state then. Uh, okay. How about, and this is, this is great, because this I get to show off my knowledge of the states by their shapes. The F-150, number one in, well, this is less a Trump state than just a rural state, Uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, what's that little one there, Uh, New Mexico, (laughs) what's that little one there, Arizona, (laughs) do we get a new state? I see a little one. (laughs) What what is that one? You keep going, it's not, it's under uh, Idaho. And not Nevada. Wyoming. No, no, I know where my... Well, is that, so what's that one there? Montana? It could be. Anyway. Uh, Montana's bigger. Uh, so I'm still on the F-150. Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, Louisiana. That would be Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, Kentucky, and uh, West Virginia. All those states, the F-150? All those, the F-150 wow. is the number one. That's interesting. Shout out to the uh, Chevy Silverado 15, a competitor to the F-150. It's big in Vermont and Maine, likewise Wisconsin, and uh, in Iowa, and Indiana. Oh. I just love Indiana. Oh, actually, in West Virginia. I called uh, that state there, uh, West Virginia. Sorry. So my knowledge is pretty good of the states by their shapes, but not perfect. Um, so it's virtually the entire Trump voting world is the F-150. With a couple other kind of pick 'em up trucks uh, in between, um, for some reason, I guess I guess Arkansas is the GMC Sierra. But uh, the only other things your East Coast states are, are small Japanese cars, Toyota Corolla down there in Florida. You got your uh, Honda CRV there in your New York, New Jersey area, and uh, other I think than that, pick up trucks ever. Except except freakish, freakish Michigan. It's shaped like a mitten and a dragon or something. Uh, Ford Escape. Hmm. That's actually a good car, the Ford Escape. I think it's interesting the uh, people that uh, would would feel bad if they were driving an American car and people that would feel bad if they weren't driving an American car. I mm-hmm. think that's interesting. Well, I left out Alaska, F-150. I remember pulling into uh, Leon, Iowa with a friend of mine from the East Coast once we were on a road trip. And it shall be Leon! Yes. 
Which well, that's was, Levon, right? Never mind. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I retract that, uh, whatever that was. Which, by the way, this is kind of an interesting topic. Uh, the, the, the county. That's what we're going for. Was once, uh, was singled out by, I forget, one of your big newspapers as the poorest county in America. Oh. <laughs> and I got tons of family there. And they were all like, what? <laughs> we, we don't feel that poor. We, we, uh, we, we own home, nice homes and, uh, we drive cars and we, our kids go to school and everybody's happy and but everybody's fine. Do they eat food? <laughs> they eat food and they go oh. on vacations and they do everything everybody else does. But hmm. poorest county in America. And they sent reporters there to interview people. What are you talking about? <laughs> What's it like to be so poor? Um, everything's fine. I don't think we are. We're, we're, we're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> There's a poor family over there, but, uh, Anyway, that's just uh, the whole, you know, uh, money is different in one town versus another. Right. National statistic is very low, but it was perfectly fine for there. Right, right. Yeah, it's a good point. The cost of living was probably plus, very, very low. Plus modest lifestyle. So. One of the uh, abiding Armstrong and Getty principles, there is no national uh, financial number that is at all useful. The idea that the dividing line for taxes should be wherever it is for whatever rate, 250 k for instance is an absurdity. The fact that Coon Holler, Southern Indiana, has the same standard as San Francisco, California, is hilarious. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For tax brackets and everything? One town, you're solidly middle class. The other guy, you own the town. You're the guy who owns the mill and half the uh, the commercial district at 250 k But we pulled into that town, and my friend said, my God, look at all the American-made cars, which I had never thought about or considered. But, yeah, everything was American-made. And you can go into a lot of towns and other places, and it'll be all foreign-made cars. It's it's a, And that's not, a at this point in history, a quality thing. It's just a, for whatever reason, you are you don't want to buy an American car, or you only will buy an American car. Where's, a, where's Subaru made? Is that Japanese? That's Japanese. Never forget! China. Never, never forget that Subarus are made in Japan. Well, it's a Japanese company. They're probably assembled here or something or other. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, President Trump may not have drained the swamp yet, but he's certainly muddying the waters. we got Bernie Sanders making the case for universal health care and former White House press sec Sean Spicer on Kimmel. What dirt does he dish? Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Kitty. And Sean's own assessment. Of Spicer on Kimmel. Ah, and one more. I left out Washington, D.C. Number one car in Washington, D.C., number one vehicle, whatever thieves drive. Oh, uh, oh well, uh, that was so, this commentary yeah, was that one. Searing, searing commentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually the Honda Civic. No offense to Honda. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I want to hear these stories, Marshall. Your tease was so good, I stuck around to listen to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Here's the news with Marshall Phillips. Well, President Donald Trump says he is fairly close to reaching a deal with congressional leaders on providing protections to immigrants who were brought to the U.S. illegally as children doing the DACA dance. We're working on a plan. We'll see how it works out. But we're going to get massive border security as part of that. Trump speaking this morning after denying assertions by Democratic leaders in Congress that they'd reached an agreement on the so-called DACA program. Now, a number of conservatives outraged by the possible deal. Breitbart, led by former White House strategist Steve Bannon, is dubbing the president Amnesty Dawn. Wow, that's a hell of a break from those two bosom buddies. (laughs) Well, yeah, Bannon was on 60 Minutes Sunday night defending Donald more or less through and through. Right. 
And then a couple days later, he's got Amnesty Don for a headline on his his website. Wait a second. I'm sorry. We just got this email. Imagine that. He sends you out to say something, then changes his mind. Signed, Sean Spicer. Oh, (laughs) good to hear from Sean. Hey, Trump has really been touting bipartisanship in the last 24 hours. A lot of people's ears perked up uh, when he uh, said this uh, during this meeting with the House Republicans and Democrats yesterday. If you look at some of the greatest legislation ever passed, it was done on a bipartisan manner. We put our country and we put the citizens of our country first. And that's what this is all about. You know, if the president of the United States is going to repeat that message over and over again and make it happen and shame them into making it happen, reason enough to elect Trump. Now, if it ends up in policy I hate, I'll let you know. But I like that message. Oh, yeah. It's the the idea of Things can only happen if one party has so many votes they can push it through. Is is no way to run a country. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and more than a dozen Democrats now proposing a single-payer health care bill. They had a Capitol event yesterday. Sanders is calling it Medicare for All, an expansion he says America can afford. While, depending on your income, your taxes may go up to pay for this publicly funded program, that expense will be more than offset by the money you are saving by the elimination of private insurance costs. Now, Republicans say the federal government would be the single payer and argue that cost to taxpayers would be enormous. Now, while uh, the majority of people are still against that, and, and a lot of people are really digging in their heels to make sure that never happens, haven't we in our in our group of people we talked to, like Craig, the Obamacare lawyer, agreed that that's going to happen <laughs> like within seven, ten years? It's just the direction things are going. Yeah, it would be difficult to imagine how that uh, slow-moving train would be derailed, right. honestly. So, you I mean, you can be, you think it's, oh, oh, no, it's the end of America's, I know it. But it would seem, right. the smart people I know think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's, there's just not the political will to to oppose it. The idea of government as Santa Claus or provider of all that is good is so thoroughly ingrained now in most people's thinking that, I mean, the, the libertarian ideal of free markets is just, I mean, it's quaint. It's the Charleston. I'll cling to it out of sheer stubbornness, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely wheezing. Trading. It doesn't look good either. They gather the family at the bed. Training exercise in the San Diego area went horribly wrong. More than a dozen Marines were on an amphibious assault vehicle. When it crashed, it went up in flames during that mission to Camp Pendleton. A number of the Marines are in the San Diego uh, burn center right now. Yikes. Sean Spicer did his first late-night interview since his role as the White House press secretary came to an end. He was on... Speaking of spicy, Spice, good to hear from him. Make it exciting. Make it spicy. No, no, no. He stopped by Jimmy Kimmel uh, live last night. Uh, Kimmel was pushing spicy on a number of topics, uh, including uh, Melissa McCarthy's impression of him. I want you laughing very hard. A lot of money in therapy. (laughs) He thought that was funny, right? That was that was kind of funny. He liked that. Did the president? He didn't think that was funny. Uh, I I don't think he found as much humor as others. Is he particularly annoyed by the fact that a woman was playing you? I I, I really didn't ask a ton of questions. Yeah. Uh, So that may have been a contributor. What a no-win situation that is. Like, they're making fun of me, and you're mad at me for it. And she wins an Emmy. And then she won an Emmy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet he is the most relieved guy in America. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. I I, I got the sense during, I watched the full interview, and so much of it was just Kimmel doing various questions, then follow-ups. So, you know, Trump's an idiot, right? 
Come on, just just say it. Let me get you on the record once. He was he uh. was a buffoon. He was come on, come on. You're, you're among friends here. It just kind of had that weird little undertone throughout the and whole that's thing. That's what I yeah. got from the Colbert Scaramucci thing too. It just seemed like okay, I'm setting you up here. Come on, say it. Yeah. Say it. Trump's a moron yeah. or a racist or something. Come on, do it. And if they don't, then they feel like they've it's all fallen apart. Yeah, and Kimmel was asking uh, Spicy about President Trump's tweeting as well. When the president would tweet, did you have an alert on your phone? Yes. Did he ever run a tweet by you? Uh, maybe once or twice. <laughs> did it ever, like, wake you up in the middle of the night? There were times when you might have wanted to go to bed and said, okay, this is going to be a little longer night. Yeah, there I'll you bet. go. I'll bet. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. That's always a hard job, uh, really hard job. I mean, it just chews people up. But if you've got a boss who's going to make news any time of day or night with a tweet that you're then going to be asked about, that would be, that'd rattle you. Yeah. That'd wear you out. Can you imagine? You show up for work, you got the New York Times guy saying, Sean, what about that whole thing with the porcupine? You're like, the what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Then with the porcupine. What? What the heck are you talking about? What? Yeah. Um, so who's this dude that uh, is showing up to uh, Berkeley today? And they're going to have the biggest security presence they've had yet for any so-called conservative speaker. I've heard he's alt-right or a racist or very dangerous. So that could get exciting and be national newsworthy this afternoon. More on that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. So this guy, Ben Shapiro, is speaking at Berkeley this afternoon, or is scheduled to. And uh, I don't know Ben Shapiro's act that much. Um, I, I know a bunch of people who, who have been reading him for years. Um, yeah, he's a very smart, energetic, funny, uh, young, conservative-type dude. I, I like him. He makes he makes a lot of good points, and he, he makes them well. Yeah, from what I get from people who have been telling me, your characterization of him yesterday was way on the side of... Uh, you know, benefit of the doubt for the people who hate him. I mean, you are really giving them a benefit of the doubt. Well, yeah, he has some controversial positions, but, but that's I mean, not his main thing. No. Uh, uh, well, I'll read this from the, the the San Francisco Chronicle, which, you know, m- well, it's interesting. Ben Shapiro, a conservative speaker headed to UC Berkeley on Thursday, hasn't mocked feminists as right-wing performer Milo Yiannopoulos has done. He hasn't boasted of being a mean-spirited bigot as far as, uh, right author Ann Coulter has done, and unlike Steve Bannon, ex-advisor to President Trump, Shapiro doesn't even like the president. I would point out there that that characterization of Ann Coulter is ridiculous. That's well, sarcasm when I, she says stuff like that. But that helps. It, I, it's actually helping your case. I know what case yeah. you're building. Yeah. But yeah. So if yeah. So the Chronicle, if you're not familiar with the San Francisco Chronicle, is I mean it makes Pravda look like the Wall Street Journal. But anyway, yet the Harvard Law School graduate. Ben Shapiro, author and political commentator, has drawn unprecedented security measures at UC Berkeley for his sold-out speech at the campus's many-windowed hall. And Berkeley City Police have received permission from the city council to use pepper spray on any violent protesters who cause any problems. Beautiful. So the Chronicle, having just, you know, they're willing to make Ann Hitler or Ann Coulter out to be Hitler. Is basically saying Ben Shapiro's not that big a deal. So if the Chronicle is saying that, right? Well, then what's all the hubbub? And and, and, and probably worth noting, if he was a Nazi, he'd still get to speak. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and, you know, it's funny. We got a really good note uh, on that topic from uh, there, uh, Tim, um, in beautiful Foster City. 
uh, pointing out that sometimes here's why we make that case, Tim, and sometimes we do a poor job of it. We're making it clear how utterly ridiculous and overreaching the violent left is that they call somebody who's perfectly moderate extreme things. But you're absolutely right. Even if they were, quote unquote, extreme, politically speaking, they still enjoy First Amendment protections. Um, the defense measures around a standard issue conservative. That's what the Chronicle is calling Ben Shapiro. I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, whose idea of provocative is to call California a nut job leftist state. Spotlight this question. How left must a speaker be to avoid causing a riot in Berkeley? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Thank you. They the at a cost of one point five million dollars, law enforcement from Berkeley, the university and surrounding cities have policed five violent rallies and, dem- and demonstrations since February. Million and a half dollars. There's no counter protest planned for Ben Shapiro, they say, but black bloc protesters who have most often clashed with pro Trump demonstrators this year don't always check in with students before striking. So right. just because there's not a plan doesn't mean we're not gonna show up. And again, so you got Ben Shapiro and his uh, I don't like uh, liberalism as much as conservatism act. He is one of hundreds of people, literally hundreds, who will be speaking on that campus today. What is the difference that there's going to be violence, there needs to be millions of dollars spent, the pepper spraying approval, et cetera, et cetera? What is the difference with Ben Shapiro? This is it. Violent leftists. That's the only difference. On a conservative blog, Ben Shapiro hosts the Ben Shapiro Show, which is a great name for it, uh, where he is called women who have abortions baby killers. Okay, that's provocative, but man, if that if that's something you can't say on that particular political issue, I mean, come on. Um, and has said that a man and a woman do a better job of raising a child than two men or two women. Okay, it's another thing that it might not be a popular viewpoint in Berkeley, but I mean, that's not exactly outside of mainstream opposition to those things or even you know side stream so what what happens if he speaks tonight and there's not any protest nothing really happens is that good news or bad news Ooh, in other words did the, <laughs> did, the, uh, did the the bad people just lay low because there's so much security waiting uh, for two weeks when milo yiannopoulos ann coulter and steve bannon come to town which they can much more easily get sympathy for attacking I, right. I uh, even though that's wrong, and it's funny, I've become hypersensitive about the idea of you know that's well within the realm realm of mainstream discussion because I understand a hundred percent what you're saying, but that's irrelevant. Oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. But it shows you how crazy these people are. So, but anyway, uh, so it depends what you mean. The reason I said that is what I'm hoping for <coughs> is that. The lunatics, the overheated, adolescent, completely illogical lunatics, go ahead and perpetrate their violence again. And once again, the eyes of the world are are exposed to how dangerous, misguided, and dumb they are. I hope they don't do the smart thing and lay low, honestly. Because then, you know, it'll take a while for the awareness, and it's absolutely inevitable. The awareness will come, and and the world will crack down on violent leftists, as they should, uh, as they should crack down on violent right-wingers. Um, but that'll postpone it. So I hope they do the stupid thing tonight. Um, the reason the reason I wanted to get that on the air is just in case something does blow up tonight and it turns into a violent thing, That was that's the guy they're talking about. That characterization by the San Francisco Chronicle of mm-hmm. him being... Fairly milk toast by uh, political standards, and he's anti. He was anti-Trump the entire campaign. 
Right. Virulently. Yeah. Caustically. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be exciting. Got to admit that. I'm looking at the... uh, Gotten tipped off by a lot of students and parents of students how they're closing down an entire section of campus, locking it down. Building closures, closed perimeter. University Police Department erect a closed perimeter around Zellerbach Hall and surrounding buildings. Same time, Zellerbach Hall and the following buildings will close. The Cesar Chavez Student Center, the Martin Luther King Jr. Student Union. Uh, there's two other halls. There's a house. Major impact on the south side of campus. Because the dangerous, scary Ben Shapiro is daring to disagree with the few of you. What have we become? We'll have to talk about that poll on free speech again. That is something. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.